Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You can't be ignorant to the world you live in. You cannot. We can't hide in holes because it's like, well, they don't believe how we believe. Well, figure out what they believe and why they believe it. And that will open up conversations. Sometimes we get this notion of like, I can't read that other stuff because it's going to convert me. No, it's not going to convert you. It'll cause you to probably like Daniel, grow in understanding and how to minister to them and how to reach them. As humans, we're often creatures of comfort. Christians are no different. We often like to stay in our own little bubbles and are afraid of getting too close to anything or anybody on the outside. Like Paul said to the Corinthians, to avoid the people of the world, we would have to be outside of the world, but we're not. In today's message, Pastor James reminds us that we shouldn't live this way. It's important for us to be aware of the world around us in order for us to reach those that are still lost in it. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You have your own relationship with the Lord. You need to tap into that. I can't be the guiding light for you. That's not who I am. I don't want you to be conformed to me. You don't want to be conformed to me. (laughs) You do not. You need to set your standards higher because there's a better, and his name is Jesus. You want to be conformed to him. You don't want to be conformed to me. So our goal is not to get you to indoctrinate and all this stuff. No, that's nonsense. We just want you to fall in love with Jesus and his word, and that's it. So they got their goal. They start deporting all these good-looking young men is what it was. Um, And so they're going to transport them from Jerusalem, hundreds of miles to the east, to the land of Shinar, and to Nebuchadnezzar's palace. This is where they're going to be living now. And this is where the new education, so to speak, begins for all these guys. Verse 5 The king, Nebuchadnezzar, he assigns them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. So it's not like they're getting scraps or anything. They're getting the best. When they come into his kingdom, just so that we're aware of this, this isn't like they're prisoners of war, so to speak. I mean, they are, but he has a plan for them. He recognizes and he identifies that there are skilled young men within this group, and they have a lot to offer Babylon. And so what I want to do is I want them to stop talking their language, and I want them to start talking my language. I want them to stop reading this book, and I want them to start reading my books. And I want them to stop eating their food. I want them to start eating my food. It's a total, complete indoctrination. Like, I mean, he's like conforming them into his image is what he's trying to do. Now, the problem with Jewish young men and Babylonian Gentiles is their diets are totally different, right? These guys, no pork, right? No pork. And there's a lot of animals that were off the list, okay, Uh, as far as like cleanness and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. In the Babylonian culture, it's almost like, well, if you kill it, you can eat it. <laughs> like, it's, it's almost like the Texan way of doing things. Um, not really. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, we can make a meal out of anything. Uh, let's, let's be honest. People in the South, we can make a meal out of anything. Um, Babylonians were like, they had no rules. There's no rules there. I mean, the only rule was um, indulgence. And the king is like, I'm going to give you the best. Whatever is presented on my plate will be presented onto your plate. It's totally different treatment. My, my grandfather was a POW. He was a prisoner of war in World War II. And I remember he didn't talk a lot about it, and I understand that. But I do remember him retelling what he got to eat while he was in prison, and he was suffering from frostbite, and his toes are getting frozen together because they're just not taken care of at all. And they get a bowl of turnip soup, and that was it. And it might have been a daily ration, maybe. That was it. These guys are like, the king's like, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Have you ever been on a cruise? The cruises are amazing, by the way, Um, because they have food available 24-7, and you can eat whenever you want, as much as you want. It's amazing. You kind of have this idea that in Babylon, concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted them to fall in love with Babylon. He wanted them to fall in love with, with his culture, his way of doing things. They get to drink the wine that he drank, which probably it's going to be the best in the land. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king and they would get graded. They would get judged based on their performance and how well they did. Among these young men that were taken, and we don't know how many were taken, you know, for the most part, there's some ideas out there, but we know that um, there are four of them, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, those are their Hebrew names that will later be changed. They're going to be given new identities. You live in a new place, you're going to learn a new language, learn a new lifestyle. Oh, no, by the way, we're going to rob you of your identity, and we're going to give you a brand new one. We're going to give you a brand new one. Um, Yeah, be careful with that. Be cautious of that. Nobody else gets to define who you are, okay? Nobody. There's one who can. He's the one who made you. It's Jesus. Let him define you. Don't let anybody else define who you are, okay? And I'll just say that. This is coming from somebody who I do not like when people try to impose their things on me. I don't even like wearing the same T-shirt as my family at Disneyland. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not, I will not conform. I'm not happening. And Nellie knows that. No, there's one who defines me. There's one who defines me. But in Babylon, they're redefining these guys. Well, they're trying to anyways. They don't redefine all of them. So you have Daniel, you have Hananiah, you have Mishael, you have Azariah of the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe that Jesus came out of, the tribe of Judah, the lion and the lamb, the tribe of Judah. Verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs. That's the guy we just read about uh, a couple of verses up there, Ashpenaz. He gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay, and these are all names attributed to their deities, their gods. Okay, so that's again, they want to redefine who they are and connect them to this deity or this God that they worship, right? So now your new, not even just your new name, your new identity is directly connected to this thing that we worship. And for them, they were just stone statues. See this rock? this is who you are. And you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah, that's what they were doing for these guys. But just because they were renamed and just because they were presented with the king's best, the food and the wine and all that good stuff, 
it does not mean that they had to change. And this is key for us. Because somebody can come along and try to redefine who you are. You don't have to change. You don't have to change. You stay committed to who he has called you to be and how he has defined you. And that's exactly what we see with Daniel in this next little part. Said, but Daniel resolved, New King James, I think, says, uh, committed within his heart. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Right? So he's like, they're passing around the plates and it's all you can eat buffet and all this good stuff. And Daniel's like, pass. I'll pass on that. Well, here's the best wine of the land. I'm going to pass on that. It's not because he didn't want to drink wine. It's because he didn't want that wine. Why wouldn't he want that wine? Well, because that wine was devoted to false gods. Daniel probably wasn't opposed to drinking wine. What else are you going to drink back then? They have Coca-Cola back then, right? That's a horrible uh, comparison there. But um, you certainly can't drink the water. I mean, my goodness. Uh, So he had no problem, I don't believe, with the substance other than this substance was devoted to this God that I don't believe in. And I'm not going to take into my body what has been devoted to something that I don't believe in. I'm not going to corrupt myself. I'm not going to defile myself just for some, a nice plate of food and a glass of wine. He wasn't going to do it. He still had to eat, but he had a plan. It says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. It says, and God gave uh, Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuch. So this eunuch, whether he was physically a eunuch, if you don't know what that means, he's probably at some point in time, if he was physically a eunuch, at some point in time, he suffered from castration, right? You serve in the king's house and you're a dude, they would oftentimes castrate those guys. Why? Because they don't want them messing with their wives or the harem and all that good stuff, okay? Then it's another way just to subjugate somebody, right? Especially a man. Don't even think about trying to rise up and overthrow me. It was one tactic that they used. We don't know if this guy was physically a eunuch or not, because the other way to translate that is really kind of a leader of that group, right? So he has compassion. He's got favor from this chief of the eunuchs, this Ashpenaz. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned you your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So his concern is this. If I don't give you this food, the other ones are going to look more healthier than you are, and you'll look sick and weak and all that stuff. And then the king's going to come to me and ask why. And he says, essentially, how it works here, Daniel, is I lose my life. I'll lose my life doing this for you. But Daniel, having compassion and favor with him, all because of the Lord, presents him with this idea. He says in verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, this is obviously a different guy, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He says, test your servants, that's me and my three friends, for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance and then the appearance of our youth who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He's like, all right, so here's the deal. How about you just give us veggies and water for the next 10 days? And then you judge if we look sick and weak compared to these other guys, then we'll eat the food because we don't want you to die. And that's beautiful. And sometimes we miss that from this little story because they're so focused on, I love Daniel's commitment to not wanting to defile himself. I also love Daniel's heart for this guy who is head over him, because Daniel doesn't want this guy to die. So he leaves that little clause within there of like, hey, look, if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll eat the food. We'll drink the wine, because your life is valuable to us. I don't think Daniel had any doubts or any worries about this, though. I think he knew, because I think he had maybe this idea from the Holy Spirit. And so they eat their veggies. They drink their water for 10 days. It says the steward took away their food and wine. They were to drink and gave them vegetables. I need to go back and research this. But there are a lot of references to 10 in this next portion of scripture. And I had a note for myself, hey, figure out why. And I didn't do that. I dropped my wife off at the airport this morning. And I don't know what's happened since then. I had lunch with Daniel, the guy from the whosoever's. And it's been a wild ride since then. But um, So there's your homework assignment. There's a lot of tens right here we're going to read. And hey, knock yourself out. Find out why. Why 10 days? What could possibly change physiologically in your body after eating just vegetables and drinking water for 10 days? I'm sure good stuff. I'm sure nothing but good stuff. But for whatever reason, they set the time as 10 days, a little over a week. It says uh, he listened to them, tested them for 10 days, verse 14. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Okay? So it's working. Whatever it is, it's working. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. All right? I think I maybe missed those verses earlier. Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Here's what's key about this. Even living in a pagan society, God's still giving him wisdom and understanding concerning their culture. That's important for Christians. You can't be ignorant to the world you live in. You cannot. We can't hide in holes because it's like, well, they don't believe how we believe. Well, figure out what they believe and why they believe it. And that will open up conversations. Sometimes we get this notion of like, I can't read that other stuff because it's going to convert me. No, it's not going to convert you. It'll cause you to probably like Daniel, grow in understanding and how to minister to them and how to reach them. There's no harm in doing a little bit of research. There's none at all. We need to be aware of the times in which we live. And we also need to be aware of the things that people surrounding us, what they believe in. I think it's valuable for us to understand and to know what other people believe and why they believe it. Why they believe it. You can't just go to somebody and be like, what you believe is wrong. And they're like, well, how do you know that? (laughs) Well, because James said so. That doesn't fly. That's not going to earn you any favor, okay? You need to understand, hey, so let me ask you about what you believe in. Can I ask you some questions? People love talking, and people love answering questions, if they know the answers. 
oftentimes what you'll find with people who believe in this or that, they don't know why they do. So you asking questions sparks something within their heads of like, well, wait a minute. I've never thought about that. Why do I believe that? Exactly. Why do you believe that? And let them ask you questions about what you believe in. Well, okay, so your holy book says this or that. Why do you believe that? And then you may be like, well, I don't know. So here's how you respond. Give me some time. I'm going to go look it up. I'm going to do some research. Let's schedule a lunch date or a coffee date and like next week. I'll come back with my research. You come back with your research, and we'll talk about it. That's all you do. That's all you do. You don't run away. You don't feel bad because you don't know an answer to a question that somebody asked you about the Bible, right? You look it up, and you research it, and then you come back together and say, okay, here's what I found. Here's what I found. It's a great thing. It's a great tool. People love that type of stuff. I highly encourage you to do that. For you to grow in your knowledge, in your understanding, to gain some learning and some skill in literature as well. But let that be God-directed and God, so to speak, driven, right? You want to honor him in everything that you do. doesn't mean you jump off the deep end and you start reading stuff that you have no business reading and all that. No, no, no. You still honor the Lord, but you can still be aware of what's going on within this world and honor the Lord at the same time. Daniel did. I mean, these guys were given this ability living there in Babylon. Verse 18, it says, um, in Daniel's uh, ability, understanding in all visions and dreams, that's just like a, hey, be prepared for this, because this is going to be like, you'll see this lived out in Daniel's life. He was a prophet. I'm just going to say this. Um, he's not like a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, so to speak, because he didn't have a message for the people but he still was a prophet. And Jesus defined him as a prophet. Other Jewish scholars and everything would label him more as like a a wise individual. They have their own term for it, and I can't remember it right now, but he technically is a prophet. He is. He just didn't serve in the role as a prophet like some of these other guys did, right? Because he's living in Babylon. He's living in Nebuchadnezzar's house. Who's he going to share these messages with? I'm going to write them down. And then people will read these messages, and oh yeah, let's not forget, half of this book is all about days in which are soon to be coming. He's a prophet. He has this ability to understand visions and dreams. Verse 18, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. I love it. Committed to God. We're not going to compromise. God's like, I'm going to put you in a prime position. I'm going to put you in a prime. I'm going to elevate you. I'm going to elevate you. You guys humbled yourselves, and I will lift you up. And that's what he does. There's a lot of parallels between this story and Joseph's story as well. Joseph was elevated to a position after he had gone way down, not by his own doing, but because of his brothers and then because of Potiphar's wife and all that good stuff. There's three individuals within the Old Testament who were highly educated men. Moses, Solomon. Well, Solomon's the smartest guy ever, right? And then Daniel. Daniel, out of all the Old Testament saints, was one of the most educated guys of all of them. I mean, he's right up there with Moses. 
Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. He received the best education at that time as Egypt was kind of ruling things back then. Daniel is, so to speak, kind of goes through three-year college in Nebuchadnezzar's house, and he gains a lot of knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And he uses it for God's glory. So you can do that. You can do that. You can even go to a secular university, learn a bunch of stuff, and use it for God's glory. Hey, that's possible. Did you know that? Okay. So they stood before the king, verse 20, and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all. It's because of 10 days of veggies makes you 10 times smarter than everybody else, all right? There's your motivation for your kids to eat their veggies. You want to be smart? You better eat those veggies, right? (laughs) The Bible says so. Actually, that's not what it says. That would be bad Bible study. But he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel was part of the chief leaders whether it be Nebuchadnezzar or uh, his son, Belshazzar, and the next guy, Daniel was there. Why did they hold on to Daniel? Because there was something different about Daniel, because there was something distinct about him. And that distinction that Daniel had is directly correlated to his commitment to God. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He grew in wisdom, he grew in knowledge, he grew in understanding, he grew in all that stuff, but it all goes back to the fact that he purposed within his heart not to defile himself. And every king that came on the scene said, I'll get rid of the rest of you, but I want that guy. Because that's what they would do. If your business comes under new ownership, you know what they're going to do? They're going to fire everybody. And they're going to start over with their own people. These kings would come onto the scene and fire these guys, but they couldn't and they wouldn't fire Daniel because there was something different about him. And they held on to Daniel. So Daniel was a part of this leadership there in Babylon for some estimates of like anywhere from about like 80 years or so until he was about 80. The connection, I think, is as clear as can be. And I think the application is is pretty clear for us as well. You and I, as believers, especially living in the day and age in which we live, need to be purposed within our hearts to not defile ourselves, to be committed to the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of opportunities out there for defilement, so to speak. I mean, lots of things. Lots of things are vying for your attention and your heart. Lots of things that are out there for that. Some are good, and then some are really bad. But what we need to do is listen, really, nobody explained it better than Jesus himself, where he says, you stay focused on me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything you need, it'll be taken care of. You don't have to worry about it. Look at the birds. I take care of birds. Check out those flowers. I made those flowers. You have nothing to worry about. You stay focused on me. You stay committed to me. Purpose in your heart to stay pure for me. Doesn't mean you and I won't have slip-ups. It doesn't mean that we won't walk through this life and have mistakes or sin and things like that. That's not what it's talking about at all. Those who are purposed within their hearts to stay committed to Jesus, when we fall down, we get back up. 
when we fall down, we get back up. That's somebody who's committed to Jesus. You will fall down. The question is not when you'll fall down and if you'll fall down. The question is, will you get back up? Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Daniel. In it, you'll notice many interesting storylines through Daniel's life. He was exiled from his birthplace and was an alien in a foreign country for the rest of his life. What would it be like to live in a country that wasn't yours for all of your adult life? Would you wallow in self-pity because of your circumstances, or would you make the most of where God chose to use you? Daniel did the latter, making an impact in a wicked country that worshipped foreign gods. But God still used him in a mighty way. God can do the same with you today as you live your life in a country and world that you might not belong in. You may feel outnumbered and surrounded by idolatry of all sorts, but God can still use you greatly, even in this ministry. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we'd be honored if you'd pray with us for all of those who are a part of our listening audience. Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Would you also pray about partnering with us financially? All donations are appreciated no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. There's much more to learn and glean from the Old Testament book of Daniel, including prophecy and faith. We hope you'll tune in again for another edition with Pastor James, as he has more to share about the life of Daniel here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.